Welcome to the Christ Walk Church Podcast. Good morning, Christ Walk. How's everybody doing today? A few of you are looking a little tired. It's always rough on this Sunday where we lose an hour, daylight saving time. Hopefully um, you won't gain that hour of sleep you lost during my message this morning. Hopefully I'll be able to keep you guys awake today. Um, We are talking about generosity this morning, one of my very favorite topics to talk about. I am, to say that I'm excited about today is huge understatement. I am so pumped um, to share with you what, uh, what I have, uh, what the Lord's placed on my heart this morning on this, um, this most holiest of Sundays, Selection Sunday for the NCAA basketball tournament. Um, for those of us, I think there are two of us, me and my son, because um, I allow him to, leave, to, to live in my house and eat my groceries and everything as long as he chooses to be a Kentucky Wildcats fan. So um, for, for those of us who are Kentucky fans, um, you can understand uh, NCAA tournament time, March Madness is always a big deal. So I'm excited to be here um, today and so glad that you guys are here with me as well. Um, if you got your Bibles or a smart device and you want to you wanna turn with me or swipe with me, we're going to land in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, that's in the, the second section of the Bible called the New Testament. It's actually the fourth book there. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four Gospels. We'll land there in just a moment. Um, so... There's this story that, um, that, I, that I heard when I was a kid, and it's kind of stuck with me through the years, and I always like to share it um, whenever I'm talking about uh, generosity. It's one of my favorite stories, and the story goes that there was this, this old man who lived near the sea. And a lot of times, um, before he would start his work during the day, he would find himself going and just taking a stroll along the beach. And on this particular morning, as was his custom, he went down to the beach and he began to walk along. And it just so happened that there was a massive storm that had come through the area the night before. And it had caused the beach to be littered as far as you could see in both directions with starfish. So this man walked along and and out on the horizon coming towards him was this small figure and and it got closer and closer and closer. And, And as it got closer, the old man, he noticed that this figure who he could now make out to be a small boy would stop periodically, bend over, pick something up and fling it out into the ocean. And so he began to walk closer and closer to this young lad. And when he got within earshot of him, he hollered out and he said, hey, what are you doing? It was at this point that he discovered that the small boy was bending over and he was picking up starfish and throwing them back into the ocean. So the young man, he replied to the old man. He said, I'm... I'm picking up these starfish and I'm, I'm throwing them back in the ocean. See, because of the storm, they were, they were washed ashore last night. And, and if, if we don't get them back into the ocean, then when the sun rises, it'll, it'll kill them. And they don't have any way to get back into the water themselves. So I'm just trying to help them out. The old man began to look around and he saw the tens of thousands of starfish all over the beach. And he looked at the little boy and he said, look at all these starfish. There's no way that you could possibly even make a difference at all. The little boy kind of smiled. 
He bent over, picked up a starfish, chucked it in the ocean. And he looked at the old man and he said, made a difference to that one. Generosity is simply this, doing for one what you wish you could do for everyone. That's generosity. Doing for one what you wish you could do for everyone. But the question is, why should we be generous, right? I mean, because think about it, from the time that we're born, we're all about ourselves. Babies are like that. They're hungry, they cry, feed me. They're dirty, they cry, change me. They're tired, they cry, rock me. It's all about them. And there's a lot of adults I know that have never gotten out of that infancy stage. They still think that it's all about them. So why should we be generous? And, and this is tough to break through. It's tough to get beyond just this. It's tough to think beyond the four walls of this church. It's tough to think beyond the four uh, property boundaries of this piece of grass that we're situated on right now. It's tough to think beyond ourselves and get to the place where we can truly realize what it means to be generous. And simply put, why should we be generous? It's because of this. It's because God is a God of generosity. God is a God of generosity. Think about it. John 3, 16, probably the most famous, most popular, most well-known Bible verse of all time. It's on, it's on uh, you know, billboards and, and posters at sporting events and, and people have it tattooed on themselves or it's their Twitter handle or you know, all these different things. And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but would have everlasting Life. I don't know about you, but that is the picture of generosity to me. So why should we be generous? Because God is a God of generosity. But here's the deal. Maybe you're watching online with us today and you just kind of stumbled upon this, this feed and you don't even believe in God. Well, guess what? You're off the hook. Or maybe you're here with us today and, and you would say, you know, I don't even consider myself to be a Christ follower. I just came because someone dragged me here. Well, then you're in luck because today you get a free pass. You don't have to live this way. But for those of us that call ourselves Christians, we claim to be Christ followers, then this is the way that you and I should be living our lives. And I just happen to think that it's a better, more fulfilling way to live in general, whether you believe in God, whether you're a Christian or not. And see, though I've experienced the joy of generosity in my own life, there's definitely a tension there. It's a tension that all of us who claim to be Christ followers, that, that from time to time we can really struggle to navigate. And here's a newsflash for you. The devil does not want you to be generous. The devil doesn't want you to be generous. Here's why. Because when you are generous, you're like Jesus. And the devil does not want you to be like Jesus. And he will often put some stumbling blocks in our path to keep us from being people of generosity. If you're taking notes, maybe you want to write these down. There's four stumbling blocks that I'd like to highlight for you this morning. And four stumbling blocks to generosity. The first stumbling block is, number one, we're too afraid. We're too afraid. We're afraid of what being generous will cost us. 
We're afraid of, of what being generous will, we're afraid of where we might have to go in order to be generous. Or we're afraid of who we might have to associate with in order to be generous. We're afraid of the things that we might have to give up to be generous. We're afraid of what other people might think once we start being generous. And so that's a huge stumbling block is that we're too afraid to be generous. Second thing, maybe we can conquer that fear, but, but the second thing is, is simply this. It's one that we can all relate to is we're too busy. We're too busy to be generous. We've got so much going on in our own lives that we simply don't have the time to focus on everyone else. We're just too busy. Man, if I had more time, I could do that. Man, if, if I just had more, if I wasn't headed to this appointment or if I wasn't headed to this soccer game or if I didn't have to have my kid over here to violin lessons or piano lessons or whatever it is, if I just had a little more time, I could be generous, but I don't, so I can't and I won't. We're too afraid, we're too busy. Number three, we're too insecure. We're too insecure. We doubt that anything that we could do at any level would make any difference at all whatsoever. So why even bother, right? Anything, I, it's not going to matter. So like, why should I even bother to begin with? No one's going to care. I'm not going to make an impact on anybody. No one's going to want to receive from me the little bit that I have. So why even bother? We're insecure and we talk ourselves out of it. And then finally, the, the, the fourth reason that we're too afraid, we're too busy, we're too insecure. Number four, we're too untrusting. You know what? A lot of people aren't generous because they lack faith in God's provision over their life. They think, if I let go of this little bit that I have, then I'm not gonna have anything to cover the things that I need. If I let go of this money or this time or this talent, then what about me. And so we want to hold on to the little bit thinking that that's the thing that's getting us through when no, it's God is the one that's getting us through. And so we don't put our faith and our trust and our hope in him to provide for our lives. And we end up not being people of generosity. But what might it look like for us to rise above the fears to rise above the busyness, to go over and above our insecurities and, and the doubt that we have in our lives and begin to live lives of generosity, lives that where we would take the stance and we would operate by the simple principle that we wish to do for one what we want to do for everyone. Let's see what that might look like. John chapter 6. John, as I mentioned before, it's in the New Testament. The Old Testament, the, the first part of the Bible um, it, it talks about the, the beginning of the nation of Israel. And then there are 400 years of silence there when, when you get to Malachi or as some people in kids church, they would, they would call it the kids, they would say Malachi. <laughs> They're learning. Malachi, you get to the end of Malachi, there's 400 years of silence where God doesn't speak until we get to the new 
Testament. And the New Testament is all about Jesus and the early church and the happenings after that. And so we find ourselves in these first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We refer to those as the gospels. And the reason we call those the gospels is because gospel means good news. And each one of those books in a different and unique, from a different and unique perspective, tells the story of this man named Jesus. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are um, what biblical scholars would call, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to elevate you guys this morning a little bit. They are what biblical scholars would call the synoptic gospels. And what that means is simply that a lot of the things that those authors chose to include in their respective stories of Jesus are included in each of those three books would be a parable of Jesus, a story that he told, a miracle that he did, a place that he went, something that happened, that those stories, those, those facts are included in each of those three books. And then we have John, and John is the fourth gospel, and it's written by the disciple that Jesus loved, and he was part of Jesus' inner circle of three with um, Peter, James, and John um, that were taken out of the, the 12 disciples. And so John writes this book, from a completely different perspective. But what's interesting is, is that a lot of the things that John includes are, are not necessarily included in the other three gospels. And a lot of the things that the other three gospels include are not necessarily included in John's gospel. But what we're going to talk about today is actually a story that appears in all four of the gospels. And I don't know about you, but when something appears four different times in four different accounts from four different authors, I feel like I need to perk up and take notice a little bit. And so that's where we find ourselves today. One of my very favorite stories in all of scripture, John chapter six, and my Bible communicates it like this. After this, verse one, after this, Jesus went across Lake Galilee. Many people followed him because they saw the miracles he did to heal the sick. Now, here's something that you need to understand right off the bat, people are not following him as in putting their faith in him as savior. Okay, that hasn't happened yet. All, that, all that's going on now is they've seen him do a few miracles. They might've been there at the wedding of Cana where he turned the water into wine. They might've they might been there when, when they saw him heal a sick person or cast out a demon or raise someone from the dead. And so they're just starting to get intrigued. And so really the reason that they're, that they're flocking to Jesus now is because they want to be a part of the show. It's entertaining and they want to be there to experience it. And there's this, this rush that comes along with it. And so Jesus is out in the countryside and all of these people, they find themselves, they're following him and they're, they're flocking to him by the droves because they've seen the miracles that he's been doing. And they are simply intrigued. Like, what is this guy all about? And they want to be sure that they're not the ones just hearing the stories about it. They want to see it happen with their own eyes. And so they're seeking Jesus out. Verse three, Jesus went up on a hill and sat down there with his followers. It was almost time for the Jewish Passover feast. And get this, when Jesus looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where can we buy enough bread for all these people to eat? Now, a lot of us, we would look up and see a large crowd coming toward us and we would think, I got to get out of here. 
But instead, Jesus, he goes right to it, to the need. Where can we get enough bread for all of these people to eat? See, Jesus was about adding value to the lives of people around him. We, as Christ followers, we need to be cognizant. We need to be looking for opportunities to add value to people's life. In a very practical way, that's why when a first-time guest comes here, they get one of these tumblers. And no, it does not turn the water to wine. It doesn't. It stays water. So I'm sorry about that. But that adds value to someone's life. I use a cup every day, right? I th some of you probably do too. So we want to give people something that they can use every single day. That's why when a second time guest comes, we give them one of those cooling towels because guess what? This is Florida. And in case you haven't noticed, it's hot. Like even in the summertime, it gets hot. And the wintertime, it gets hot. And so we want to add value to people's lives. So when they're out mowing the grass or when they're out working out at the gym or they're out on the tennis court or the basketball court or at the beach, that we can cool them off and then they can think about the awesome church that they go to. Every day when I get up, I put on a shirt. Some of you are very thankful for that. Otherwise, this would be very awkward right now. That's why third time, guess we give them a shirt because people wear clothes and so every day they're going to get up and they're going to put on that shirt and they're going to say, man, this is my church. And it's right here. It's on your heart. It's on your chest. This is who I am. This is what I'm a part of. This is where I belong. And that adds value to people's lives. So Jesus sought out ways that he could add value to people. And so, so do we. Here's the question. Here's the question that I have for you. Are we concerned with the needs around us? Or are we simply inconvenienced by them? Are we concerned with the needs around us or are we just inconvenienced by them? Jesus, when he saw the need, he began to immediately be forward thinking. How can we meet this need? There's tons of people coming. Where can we get enough bread to feed these people? He didn't think, man, I got to get out of here. There's too many people around. Are we concerned with the needs around us or are we just inconvenienced by them? Verse six, Jesus asked Philip this question to test him because Jesus already knew what he planned to do. So you and I, we've got to realize that God already has a plan in place for how he wants to use us to make a difference in the lives of other people. And that plan is bigger than us. That plan that he has for us to make a difference in the lives of those around us, it's going to cost more than we can afford. That plan is going to be too difficult for us to even wrap our minds around. That plan is going to require skills and abilities that, very simply put, you and I don't have. Before God ever calls us, he's already got it figured out. It's all part of his plan. You and I, we are responsible for obedience. God's responsible for the outcome. So Jesus was asking this to put Peter to the test but he already had planned out what he was going to do. He knew exactly what was going to take place. But he called Peter to something that Peter didn't have the skills, the ability, the resources within his own self to be able to take care of this issue. He was being tested. I'm sorry, it was Philip, not Peter. I got my P's mixed up. Verse 7, Philip answered, someone would have to work almost a year to buy enough bread for each person to have only a little piece. 
Another one of his followers, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, said, Here is a boy with five loaves of barley bread and two little fish, but that is not enough for so many people. All right, so Philip is saying someone would have to work almost a year. Now, back in this time, um, one of the main currency units, units, it was called a denarius. And one denarius was, uh, was equivalent to a day's wage for the average worker. And so in some translations, um, you've got Philip, and he's saying that it would take over 200 denarii in order to buy enough bread for everyone to get just a little piece. So he's talking about really when you boil it down, an entire, an entire year's salary at the time to buy bread for all those people. And that would be, that would be even if you could find a bakery or enough bakeries in the area that could fill the, fill the demand that they would have enough supply to fill the demand. Basically, he's saying, there's no way, Jesus. There is no way that this can happen. And so the disciples, they're frantically scrambling around and everything. And, and poor Andrew, all he can drum up is some little boy's sack lunch. That's all he's got. His mama, she packed it with love. There was probably a little napkin in there, you know, where she had written in Sharpie. Hope you have a great day today. Love, mom. You know, and she had patted him on the head and sent him on his way. And somehow, maybe on the way to school, he got caught up in this, in this crowd of people. And he just started to go with the flow. And then he finds himself there in the midst of everyone. And then there's Jesus. And ooh, let's see how this plays out. And then next thing you know, he's being bullied by Andrew. Hey, kid, give me your lunch. <laughs> what a jerk, right? But gladly, you know, and, 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 and faithfully, the little boy, sure, yeah, you, you know, whatever, whatever I have, you can, you, can, you can take it, you can use it. And he, here's the deal, here's the deal. Um, Andrew looked at it and he said, he said this, this little lunch, it, it's not enough. It's not enough. When God calls you to do something, do you respond with excuses? Or do you respond with enthusiasm? anxiously anticipating what God's about to do through the situation. When God calls you to do something, do you look at your resources and say, I don't have enough? Or do you look at the situation and say, God, I don't, I don't have enough, but I can't wait to see how you're gonna do, how you're gonna work a miracle through this one. Like, what's the condition of our heart when God is asking us to be generous and meet needs in the world around us? Is it one of excuses or is it one of, enthusiasm, anticipation. I can't wait to see God work through this. See, with Jesus, the small things counted. He said, with faith like a mustard seed. That's tiny, y'all. We can move a mountain. The widow's might. She just had a penny that she could throw into the offering, but, but Jesus said that that was more than even the richest of people gave in the offering that day because she gave all she had the little children, Jesus said, don't keep the little children away from me. Bring them to me. Because he knew that the small things counted. They mattered. Jesus counted small things because small things count. It was the same with this little boy's lunch. These five small loaves of bread and these two fish that were brought to Jesus that day. Verse 10, I love this. Jesus said, tell the people to sit down. There was plenty of grass there. And about 5,000 men sat down there. Now it's important to note that it's just 5,000 men. All right, now let's say that half of these men were married. They would have had their wives with them. 
Let's say that half of them had kids, at least one. They would have had their child with them. So some, some scholars would, would, would estimate that, that there was upwards of 15,000 people present whenever this happened. 15,000 people, and we got, we got five loaves and two little fish. And Jesus is saying, have everybody sit down. You know, I'm, I'm thinking maybe there was like, you know, about 10,000 people there. Even if it was just the 5,000, that's a lot. There's a whole bunch of people there on the countryside that day. And Jesus says, tell them to sit down. In verse 11, then Jesus took the loaves of bread, thanked God for them, and gave them to the people who were sitting there. He did the same with the fish, giving as much as the people wanted. Know what Je Notice what Jesus did first. He gave thanks. Little boy sack lunch. Five loaves, two fish. Five, 10, 15,000 people. We don't know. It was a whole bunch. And Jesus gives thanks. Are you thankful for what you've got? Are you thankful for the things that you have? You know, it's really easy for us to fall into the comparison trap when it comes to thankfulness in our lives. We want to say, we, we, we think things or we say things like this, like, well, I could give like him if I made the salary that he does. Or I could serve back in kids walk the way that she does if I just had patience like her. Or, well, we could, we could host a small group in our house if we had a big house like they do. And that's ungratefulness. We're always comparing ourselves to other people and there is no win in comparison. There is no win in comparison. You're never going to get ahead if you're comparing what you don't have or what you, you do have to what someone else has that's better than yours. Could it be that maybe the reason God isn't blessing you with more is simply because you're not thankful for the things that you already have? Got really quiet in here all of a sudden. Could it be that maybe God isn't blessing you with more because you're not thankful for the things that you already do have, the way that he's already blessed you in your life? Verse 12, when they had all had enough to eat, everybody say enough. Jesus said to his followers, gather the leftover pieces of fish and bread so that nothing is wasted. So they gathered up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with the pieces left from the five barley loaves. For some people in the crowd that day, this might've been the first time in their entire lives they were ever full. Anybody ever been to an all-you-can-eat buffet? Anybody ever been in the seat when they come out and say, I'm sorry, sir, that's all you can eat? Anybody ever experienced that before? Yeah, I've never been that guy, but I've been at the table with that guy enough, right? We know what that means here in America. We know what enough is. In this context, in, in this part of the country, at this time, in, in, in this part of the world, a lot of these people, many of them, never knew what it was like to have enough. And for the first time in their entire lives, out of this little boy's sack lunch, they are experiencing complete and total fulfillment and satisfaction. See, Jesus doesn't just meet our needs. He goes over and above to exceed our expectations. Every single time, every single time, 
and there were 12 baskets of leftovers, right? How many disciples were there? Anybody? 12. Guess what? They had lunch the next day. And guess what it served as? It served as a reminder for them. Don't you ever doubt the power of Jesus Christ, that I will take care of the need today, and then I'm going to provide leftovers so that you got something for tomorrow too. That's how Jesus operates. That is the picture of generosity that I hope some of you are going to be able to grab a hold of today, that Jesus is not just about doing what can barely be done to scrape by, just to, just to squeak by in meeting the need. He's going to go over and above. He's not just concerned about your need today. He's also concerned about tomorrow. God is not limited by the size of your lunch. Get that today, people. God isn't limited by the size of your lunch. He doesn't care about what the number is of your checking account. He doesn't care about the balance. He doesn't care about how big your home is or how fancy your car is or whether or not you even have a car. He doesn't care about what talents you do or don't have. None of that pertains to Jesus and how he is wanting to work in and through you to meet the needs of the world around you. None of that stuff matters because Jesus, he's God and he's got this. Verse 14. I love how this story culminates. When the people saw this miracle that Jesus did, they said, he must truly be the prophet who is coming into the world. When they saw the miracle that he did, then they began to believe. It was generosity that caused people to see Jesus for who he really was. Simply put, Generosity points people to Jesus. Generosity points people to Jesus. And I wasn't on the hillside that day. I wasn't there as part of the multitude. But I find it hard to believe that out of 5, 10, 15,000 people, that one little boy was the only one that had any food with him along the journey. Instead, the way that I read this story, I think perhaps that maybe it was just out of the multitude that day, there was only one little boy who was willing to share the little bit that he had. You know, chances are there was some dude over here that had a Snickers in his pocket and he was keeping it all for himself. You know, over here we had, you know, some health nut with a salad. Nobody wanted that anyways. But they were keeping it all for themselves. You know, we had smoothie guy back here, you know, and he was just drinking it away. No, you can't have any. I've already put my mouth on it. But this little boy, he was willing to give the little bit that he did have. So it was because of the faithfulness of this little kid that he got to be a catalyst for a miracle. How many people that day missed out on being a part of the miracle because they weren't willing to give the little bit that they had with them because they thought it's not gonna make a difference anyway? How many of us are missing out on the blessings of God in our life because we're unwilling to sow a seed of generosity in the world around us with the little bit that we have? 
See, the fact of the matter is Jesus doesn't need our lunch. Jesus doesn't need our resources. Truthfully, Jesus doesn't even need us. But here's the beauty of it. We are the ones that need him. And he loves us so much that even though he doesn't need us, He loves us so much that he extends to us the opportunity to be a part of the things that he has already planned to do. Just like he did there with Philip. He already knew what was going to take place. He was giving Philip the opportunity to be a part of that blessing, to to be a catalyst for the miracle. And Philip said it can't be done. But yet a little boy steps forward with a little bit of lunch. And Jesus performs a miracle. What if you and I were willing to step out into the things that God has already got planned to be a part of it? How awesome would that be if you and I chose to begin to live our lives by the principle that doing for one what we wish we could do for everyone. And we took that approach to generosity. What if we chose to live that way? What kind of difference Could it make in our community? What might God be able to do through us if we were willing to surrender to this kind of lifestyle? Let me give you an example of what this looks like. Our student ministry meets out in the community every Wednesday night um, for small groups. We have, a, we have a, a middle school small group that meets at the Burger King on the island. We have a high school small group that meets at the Dunkin' Donuts on the island. And it's at this Dunkin' Donuts that when the kids go there and, and they buy coffee and donuts and, and ice cream and different things, that they get these receipts printed out. And the receipts on them, they have a, a survey that you can go to a, a link and, and fill out a survey online and, and you can put who your server was and, and everything. And so what, what happened is, is several weeks back, the kids got together that were meeting in this small group at Dunkin' Donuts. They decided that they were going to start, instead of just throwing their receipts away, they were going to start filling out these surveys about their experience. And so everybody at the table for weeks on end are filling out the survey. And there's a guy that he typically works in there Wednesday nights. His name is Dennis. And so these kids, they were filling out their surveys and they were putting down Dennis's name as who served them that night and everything. And so several weeks went by. And then um, Dee Dee Moore, who's overseeing our student ministries, uh, student ministries group now, um, Dennis came to her a few weeks ago and he said, I just want to thank you. He said, because of the kids that have been coming in here every week and filling out these surveys and putting my name down, he said, I got a bonus for my boss and I got extra hours added to my schedule. So now I'm making even more money to be able to provide for my family. And see, it's a picture of that is that our, our teenagers, like they didn't have a bunch of money to do anything with it. Like they were just taking out their smartphone and taking a few minutes to fill out a survey. But it changed Dennis's life because they set the pace for the rest of us and chose to do something do one, do for one, just with what little bit that they have that they wish they could do for everybody. Yes, those students in our group, man, they wish that they could give everybody in that restaurant, everybody in all restaurants a raise, but we can't do that. But we can do it for Dennis. I remember when I lived in St. Louis before I moved here, I was at the gas station. There was a gas station really close to where I lived and I would stop there most mornings and grab a coffee or a drink or something. 
And I can remember one morning there was a woman behind me, and I did this pretty regularly. You know, someone would just walk up, and I'd just say, I got theirs too. And so I'd pay for mine, and they'd ring up the persons behind me. And that morning, this woman, she had an 89-cent cup of terrible coffee. And I just said, I got hers too. And before she knew what was going on, like, um, it had already been paid for and everything, and I was headed out the door. And I felt somebody grab me on the arm and I looked back and it was this woman and she had tears in her eyes. Guys, tears. We're talking about an 89 cent cup of coffee and she's trembling and she's trying to reach into her purse and get out her wallet and she, let me pay you back. And I said, ma'am, have a great day. And I smiled and I left. Why did that make such a big impact? 89 cents. See, it's not about the cost. It's about the act. People just don't live that way anymore. Guess what? You don't have to be rich to be generous. You don't have to be rich to be generous. Just do something for somebody. And it will change their life because people don't live that way anymore. So what if we did? What if we, what if we chose to live that way? What would that look like? Let me put some feet on this for you. Underneath your, um, your seat today, you've got a little boy's lunch. There's one for everybody. And no, there's not some moldy bread and rotting fish in there. We're not gonna, we're saving that for April Fool's Day on Easter. Just kidding, just kidding. Come back, bring friends, it'll be awesome. But there's a card inside of there. And on this card, in the back, it's got some information about the church, you know, whatever. But this is the side that I'm really excited about right here, this white side with the orange writing. It says, something extra to show God loves you. We're giving these away in Kids Walk this morning too. And here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to go out into the community somewhere. And maybe it's like, you know, in the morning and you're hitting the drive-thru for breakfast or you're stopping by Starbucks so what you're going to do is you're going to tell the person at the window, hey, I want to pay for the person behind me. And then when they get to the window, you give them this with their order. Or maybe it's at a gas station and you're saying, hey, like, I just want to buy $5 worth of gas or $10 worth of gas or $30 worth of gas or whatever for somebody. When they come in here, you just let them know that it's already paid for and then you give them this. Or you're going to bake a plate of cookies and take them to your neighbor wrapped up and this is going to be on it. Just something extra to show that God loves you. Here's what we're doing in Kids Walk. Um, along with these cards that we're giving out in Kids Walk, all the kids, they're getting a, a Chick-fil-A coupon for a free ice cream. And so here's what we're telling the kids this morning. We want you to take these and, and this coupon, it's not for you. It's for you to take to school and give to a friend or give to your teacher. Just let them know it's something extra to show God loves you. And in fact, I believe in this so strongly. Here's what we're going to do for you. If you're willing to partner with me and do this this week in our community, I'm going to give you $5 to sow a seed of generosity into you so that we can get the ball rolling on this. So Pastor Ryan's going to be right outside. And if this is something that you're willing to do this week, I just want you to take $5 from him. We've got it in cash before you leave and then take it with you and put it with this card and go and do some good in the community this week. All right? And if you're here today 
and this is your first time and you're not sure about this Jesus thing and everything, guess what? You get $5 on your way out and you can go buy yourself a burger or something. That's how we roll, man. This is a place of generosity. Spread the word. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do because I believe, I believe in this. And, and to be honest, it's a bait and switch because next week when you come back, I'm going to give you six more of these. But I'm not giving you $5 to go with those. Because here's where the true blessing is discovered. The true blessing is discovered is when you don't use my money, my time, my talent, my testimony to make an investment in the community around you, you use your own. I want that for you. I want you to experience what that's like. So this week, I want you to use my money so you can get a little taste of what it's like. It's easy to use someone else's money. But then you're going to be so blessed by it that you're not going to be able to wait to get your hands on more of these so that you can be generous in the community around you. And this isn't no Easter thing. This is a lifestyle. This is what Christ Walk Church is about right here. We're about being generous. We're about adding value. Whether it brings anyone into our church at all whatsoever, that's not the point. The point is we want to take the goodness of the love of Jesus and we want to put it out there in as many places as we possibly can. Amen? Amen. Here's something else we're going to do. Wednesday, March 28th, we've got some really cool Christ Walk coffee cups. Not like paper or anything. Like These are like insulated to-go coffee cups. If I'd have been thinking, I would have brought one up here with me, but I'm a little slow and I didn't think about that. But what we're going to do is we're going to go and we're going to stand out in a couple neighborhoods during morning drive time, a couple neighborhoods that are around here. We're going to have posters that say free coffee and we're going to be wearing Christ Walk shirts and we're going to be cheering and clapping and everything. And when people drive up, if we can get them to stop without running us over and I will play human speed bump if I have to, this is what we're going to do. We're going to give them a Christ Walk coffee cup. We're going to put it in their window and we're going to say, have a great day. We love you. And that's it. Because we want to add value into the community around us. We want to do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. Why? Because God is a God of generosity. And when we're generous, we're like Jesus. And I want each of us to be like Jesus. That's what it's about. We're trying to be like Jesus.